And now it's time for the Sports Illustrated Longhorn Maven Podcast with your hosts, Chris and Dalton. The kick is up and it's good. Only this time the field goal wasn't off the foot of Cameron Dicker making the game deciding field goal. It was Iowa State putting the dagger into the heart of the Texas football season. I'm Dalton Sweat. Here with Chris Dukes from uh, Longhorn Maven. This is the Sports Illustrated Longhorn Maven podcast. And uh, Chris is the publisher of Longhorn Maven. You can find him on Twitter at Dukes Take. Or you can follow us on Facebook at Longhorn Sports Illustrated. Chris, welcome to a, once again, depressed Longhorn football podcast. Oh yeah, we're we're back we're back to depressed podcast. We had we had, a, <laughs> had a nice week of optimistic podcast, and uh, now now we're now we're back on this side. Of we got a slight reprieve about three fourths of the way through the season. You know, after Texas went through, I think we called it like uh, three and a half losses in a row or something like that with yeah. that Kansas game thrown in the middle there. But you know, uh, had it had a good win, and then. Boy, this game was just really tough. Um, I mean, both of us, I think, thought Iowa State was a better football team going into this. Um, it was a well-coached football team, had a, a lot of talent all over, and they'd played some really good football games throughout the year that they, they just ended up on the wrong side of. The line was a, a seven-point line in favor of Iowa State. I think everybody thought that Texas was going to have to play a really good game to come out with a victory, but then you come down to about five minutes left in the fourth quarter, and Texas has a chance to win this ball game, and it was just so tough to watch that game-winning field goal for the other side because Texas has had two themselves this season. Um, It was so tough to watch that field goal go in, especially with the way that final kind of drive went down. Um, how to, how, talk to me about the, the, those final couple of minutes for Texas. Oh, man. Uh, you know, you, you kind of get that, <clears throat> that desperation feel that, that you maybe saw if you were a Kansas State fan the week before where you have mm-hmm. to just watch the ine- wait for the inevitable to happen when, when teams are just grinding out and running down the clock and you know that it's they're, you're not going to get the ball back and they're going to get to kick the field goal and it's going to be a pretty reasonable field goal and you're probably not in good shape whenever it's over with. Yeah, and I'd heard some people say, you know, it's a 36-yard field goal. I'd heard some people say, well, Texas should have just after – okay, let's get into the fourth down first. <laughs> oh, God, that was painful to watch. You know, like it, the, the win was within Texas' grasp and somebody jumps off sides. Oh man, uh, and it wasn't just somebody. It was uh, you know your, one of your team captains, Malcolm Roach. You know, I wrote a story uh, that's up on the site now uh, about just how emotional he was, even on Tuesday. I mean, he was you know basically fighting back tears, thinking about or talking about it. You never say one play lost a game, but it's pretty easy to say that play lost the game. Right. <laughs> and, and I think I I think for in the sake, I mean, in in, in Roach's defense, you know. There's a lot of other things you can point at, but man, that it, it is a tough time to have a play like that happen, especially to a guy that you can tell, I mean, hasn't hasn't let him isn't living with it well. I mean, it, it's mm-hmm. a it's a tough break and and just a very unfortunate time for a mental mistake because you know Iowa State kicked that ball and it didn't look like it didn't look like a good kick. You know, <laughs> uh, you're you're 15 yards, I think at least 15 yards farther back at that point, and you're attempting that field goal and. Uh, 
The, the, I don't think it was going in. It, uh, it, it, it didn't go it in. It didn't go in. I, uh, I, I, you know, you don't know exactly how much of the process they went through. Mm-hmm. But the Iowa State kicker came into the game one for three on on field goals from that from that range. Well, they have two kickers too. I don't know yeah. what's up with that. They've right. got their 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 long kicker and their short kicker. Uh, you don't really see that as often as you used to in, in college football. You know, your yeah. kickoff guy and then your yeah. your uh, your extra point guy. But uh, yeah, it was. Uh, just an unfortunate, unfortunate time for for something like that to happen. And you're right for probably the most unfortunate player, you know, when you're talking about a team leader, you know, somebody everybody looks up, the guy everybody looks up to to make that mental mistake. The guy that basically the whole coaching staff, you know, calls a coach on the field. And, you know, other than Sam Ellinger and maybe even as much as Sam Ellinger, really, you know, just the voice of, of that locker room. Uh, tough. It was tough. It was a tough break and, and tough to see, you know, the effect that that's had on this well, week. And you said that he had some comments, yeah, uh, some from your coverage on Tuesday. What 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 was he What was he saying? Oh, he well, when it came before that, you know, we kind of and we'll get into we'll get into some of the stuff, you know, when we talk about you know where the team is and what what's left to play for. Uh, but just uh, it it wasn't he i mean he he only really had a one sentence response to to what happened on the play you know he he you know said he was trying to make a play for the team and block block the kick but it it sucked the energy completely out of the room seeing him you know kind of struggle to 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 get that out and you know everybody kind of left that interview feeling like if you didn't leave that interview impressed with with Malcolm Roach and you know what what this team means to him then you weren't paying attention it yeah. was it was a it was a tough deal, and like I said, just just it couldn't have it couldn't have happened to a, I mean, it couldn't happen to a more unfortunate person than than Malcolm yeah. Roach. I, I feel yeah, like. situation, yeah. Well, can can we try and look at a slightly brighter spot just for you know m- my own sake, my own mental sake? Um, watching Ellinger on that fourth and goal, what five minutes before that, um, or so. I, I guess maybe a little bit more than that, but. Fourth and goal from the seven-yard line. And when Ellinger looks up, it looks like this is a busted play. And he does one of those, I don't know, Tony Romo flip-out, you know, rollouts. Gets out to the right side, throws a dart over to Malcolm Epps. Great catch in the end zone. Go up by one point late in the ball game. I was looking at that play and thinking, this is going to be on Sam Ellinger's career highlight film, you know? Like, this is one of those moments for not just Ellinger, but the, but the Texas football team this season. It was, it was. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, <clears throat> that second half from Sam Ellinger, really, I guess, to the, midway through the third quarter on, was as good as you could ever ask a quarterback to play for your team. I, yeah. I think there were 17 or 18 plays in a row where he was either – responsible for throwing the ball or running the ball. I mean, they put the entire game on Sam Ellinger's back without, you know, arguably his most talented NFL-wise receiver, and he he brought him back and, and brought him back from a couple scores down to, to take the lead in that game. Yeah. And, and that play really kind of just showed everything that went on with Ellinger during during that fourth quarter, you know, just escaping the pocket, a play that looked like nobody – not only was nobody open – there was no time to throw the ball, and he mm-hmm. made both of those things. I mean, he he compensated for both of those things and, and found apps in the end zone. Mm-hmm. To uh, at the time, it looked like you know save Texas a season. Yeah, and it's a play that at this point will be forgotten 
pretty much completely if it's not already. I, I'm not gonna lie. I, it, when I when I was reading through the notes and I, I saw that, I had to I had to think back on it for at least a second <laughs> because there was so much that happened after that. Yeah, thing. you know, really really depressing. To uh, I I saw a quote from Ellinger that said. He knew that they, they were going to have to go back out on the field. They were going to have to go and score another one. And he, in hindsight, he was right. And they did have that opportunity to go back out there and, and went three and out. You know, just nothing. Oh, the play calling. The play calling on, on that drive was a, a big topic uh, Monday when <laughs> Tom Herman kind of faced the firing squad. For we'll, the, we'll dive into it. What do you think about the play calling? I I I, I – can understand where, where Coach Herman was coming from as far as, you know, you want to try to run out the clock. There's too much time. There's too much time on the clock to go into a shell and 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 run, you know, two two running plays and a screen pass. Whenever Sam Ellinger has just put on the Superman cape and brought your team back with, with two fourth-quarter touchdowns, mm-hmm. uh, I, I don't understand how you take the ball out of 11's hands and, and, and do anything other than I – mean, even if, even if you call a play where he has a run-pass option, any something – that gets him involved in those in those last few plays. I swear, uh, we just had this conversation about the Cowboys, the exact same thing a week a week earlier, where it's oh Dak Prescott just you know throws for four hundred yards in the game and has led the team back, and they're going in for the win, and they call two running plays when the running game hasn't worked worth a crud. Yeah. Um, and everybody goes, "What's going on?" And then, you know, five days later or whatever it was. Texas does the exact same thing. It, it, I, I really, really think that it was one of those, one of those situations where you're, you're out thinking yourself, and you, you do what it says in the coach's handbook in, instead of continuing to keep your team in, in a, in, in, in some kind of rhythm. Was it Ingram that was in it running back at that point? I, I think so. Yeah. And so Ingram, let's. Uh, the next part on my list is what the heck happened to the running game. Um, a total of 54 yards rushing for the game, only 27 yards from running backs. And out of the nine yards that Keontae Ingram rushed for, nine yards he rushed for, seven of them came on one play. And I can promise you it wasn't in the fourth quarter on that on that drive. You know, um, I mean, that running game just completely disappeared. It did. And, you know, some of it, is your play calling when you're down by two scores and and you've got you've got to you've got to play the way they did. Some of it was Ellinger got got hot uh, you know late in the game and they you know up until that last drive were, were smart enough to keep the ball in his hands. And some of it was you've got to give Ohio State credit. They they did a great job shutting shutting down what what had clearly been working uh, the week before for for Texas against a physical Kansas State team. They. Uh, they just weren't going to have it. They just weren't going to have it in names on on Saturday. They they were, they were swarming to the ball and, and clogging up running lanes and and really keeping Johnson and Ingram from getting from getting going. Let's let's claw back from the depression once again for a moment. <laughs> um, the, the the defense looked pretty darn good. Um, I, I know Iowa State isn't the most high scoring offense in the Big Twelve. In, in fact, I, I haven't looked at the numbers, but I'd say they're probably in the bottom third in terms of scoring. Um, but the defense did its job. This is two weeks in a row that the defense has done its job after a pretty disastrous first, you know, half of the season or so. Um, there was a point when people were calling for Todd Orlando's head. I don't think that's this week. 
No, this this week it's it's you know Tim Beck's head. So yeah, you know. <laughs> or, or Tom Herman's, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> no, I don't think things have gotten quite that bad yet, but you know, it, it, you never know. Uh, but yeah, you can't really. If you look at term in terms of yardage, Iowa State put up I would, would almost five hundred. Almost five hundred. You know, yeah. Brock Purdy goes for three fifty four and yeah. two touchdowns. It was something like four hundred and seventy five or something. I don't, I don't remember exactly, but Brees Hall got going. He had over a hundred yards rushing. But you know, really, if you're, it was it was exactly what the Texas defense wants to be in terms of. They're not gonna. They're never in the Big Twelve. You're not gonna hold teams to ten points, to three points, to seven points. But if you can, if you can make them, if you can make every possession, if you can get a couple of empty possessions and a couple of of opportunistic plays, whenever you're deep in your own territory, mm-hmm. then you've then you're doing your job as a defense. And and anytime you hold any any Big Twelve school to twenty three points, you you really expect to win. So let's just take it one step further. If I'm talking to you last week on the podcast and I say Iowa State scores 23 points, do you say Texas wins? I, I, I would almost definitely say that. I, uh, unequivocally, I, yeah. right? Like I think I, I predicted 38-35. I was, yeah. I was a high 20s projection, yeah. but still, you would expect Texas to be able to put up more than 21 points in, in a ball game versus any Big 12 team. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, it, it was – it was such a strange game, and the the numbers look like if if you look at the box score, it looks like a shootout. Uh, well, but, not not just that; it looks like Iowa State would have would have stopped if you just yeah. look at the if the yardage totals right. and and stuff like that. Yeah, they, I mean they picked their battles, and, <laughs> but you've as an offense, I think that uh, I think that someone brought up the stat uh, during player availability. The the defense has forced I think six straight turnovers that haven't been turned into points. Uh, by the offense, and you can't you can't do that and expect to beat good teams. I mean, when the defense yeah. gets you the ball, you've got to put it, you got to turn it into points. You know, they had the 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 interception of Purdy that turned into zero points with the the fourth down. Um, so yeah, there there there's if you're gonna hang that if you're gonna hang this one on somebody, it, it, it's got to probably be play calling through the first you know three and a half quarters and. You know, the offense not getting it done whenever it needed to. Execution. Yeah, yeah. without a doubt. And, and and as much as I have been a long-term fan of Tom Herman's before he was a UT coach, heck, back when he was a Texas State coach, um, been, a, been a fan of Tom Herman's, you have to start looking at some of these. And I know he addressed a, the – was he outcoached, you know, uh, kerfuffle, if you will, yeah. um, uh, early on in the press conference. But you've got to look at this and say – why? Why isn't this team getting more? Why isn't this offense getting more right now? It was the defense in the first half of the season, but right now it's the Texas offense that's the problem. It, it's it's definitely, and, and I don't think it's talent. I don't think it's talent either. I I get the feeling sometimes that, like I said before, that there's there's a need to do what analytics says instead of a need to do what's working for you. And, and and almost like an arrogance where you're not willing to just take what the defense is giving you and wanting to establish and and move the ball the way you want to, uh, yeah. And and that that comes back directly on Herman. And like you said, we 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 both know from a long term perspective that he's 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 a good offensive mind. I mean, uh, 
you know, the, whether you go to Texas State or Ohio State or Houston. I mean, he's put up points everywhere he's gone. Or, or what was it? I think he started at Texas Lutheran, isn't it? Yeah. I think it was the, the, the formerly all-girls school down the road in Seguin, Texas. Exactly. Like. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I, I I agree. It, it, you've seen you've seen it. You've seen the offensive mind and, and and the offensive genius that he can produce. And I, I'm just trying to. I'm struggling to figure out why at this moment what's what's going wrong because it was working so well in the beginning of the season. And I guess you could say Colin Johnson's out, but I, I mean one wide receiver. Every team's playing with somebody injured. Yeah, this you, is, you know, uh, it's the well, middle of November. <laughs> exactly. This far into the season, somebody's injured on every football team. I just I can't figure I can't seem to figure out why it's not working or hasn't worked um as as well this week and in, in, in recent weeks, you know. Yeah, I I I think there's a lot of people asking that question right now. Uh and 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 it's it's also been lack of efficiency, like I said, you know, not getting points off turnovers, not getting points in the red zone. You know they go for it on that fourth and that fourth down uh, early in the game where they run the exact same play. They got stopped on third down. It's it's little things like that that are starting to add up and and are, and are costing this team wins. Well, I, I guess let's let's move on to the big picture. Where does this team go at, at this point? You know, Big Twelve championships, a fantasy or or, or beyond yeah. are, are, are impossible. Apparently, Herman told the team there's a two percent chance. Uh, yeah. Okay, well, <laughs> there, that, yeah, that, that sounds knows. that sounds potentially accurate. Yeah. I'll, I'll go ahead and trust him on that one. Um, what at this? What is the impact of this loss on this Texas season? Take, take me through that. It, it's it's hard to not call it devastating for a team that you know came into the season preaching Big Twelve championship conference championship i mean that was that was the that was the talk before the lsu game that was the talk you know you know he uh coach herman uh during his press conference before lsu said you know even if we win this game bob bowlesby's not going to hand us the conference championship and that's our goal uh you know we got a long ways to go to get there and you know every week it's been well at least we're still in contention for this at least we're still in contention for this and you've you really you got to wonder a little bit uh about the spirit of this team. I mean, it, I, I, I talking to the players. It, it, this is this is this is a group with a lot of pride, and I don't think they're going to come out and just pack up the tent for the last two weeks of the year. But it, it is really hard to play the style of football this team has, and and with endure all the momentum swings that come in playing so many games. Every Big Twelve game they played this year has been decided by less than two touchdowns. Every Big Twelve game they played the last two years has been decided by less than two touchdowns. I mean. Eventually, that takes an emotional toll on you, and especially whenever all of a sudden, you know, what's the big difference to some guys between the Camping World Bowl and, and the Houston Bowl, you know? Uh, yeah, not a lot. Yeah. Uh, where, where are you going to drink the night before the game, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, you, you, you don't you hope for the players the night after the game. Okay. <laughs> well, the way this season's going, it yeah, might, might be both. But <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Well, I, uh, I guess... It, but but going back to uh, you know talking to Malcolm Roach, and, and you know he gave he gave a really emotional uh, talk about you know the senior class and everything they've been through, and you know he got there. That, that's the class that it was Charlie's last year. Uh, so everybody that got recruited was told you shouldn't come here because your coach is going to get fired, and the coach told him no, 
I'm gonna make we're gonna we're gonna make this work. We're gonna make this work. And sure enough, the coach gets fired at the end of the year, you know. Mm-hmm. And then they can bring in a new guy. And he's got a whole new set of demands for for these guys. And not only that, but he's expecting these guys to be this this class of two thousand I guess it would be the graduate class of two thousand twenty. These guys are now uh, he's counting on these guys to 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 lead the way for this new program. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you know they make a bowl game, and then they make the Big Twelve championship game, and then they make the Sugar Bowl, and you know it's and now they're kind of back down to just right where they were, right where they were. Mm-hmm. But you you get the feeling that the senior leadership of this team is 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 the kind is the kind that's going to be that's going to say you know we we get to play football two more times, mm-hmm. and that's the easiest part of this. So I. I I don't like I said. I don't expect this team to come out and lay an egg, and I don't expect to see anything but but your best effort for the next two games and, and even into the bowl game. So I'm I, I'm not asking you know, the Big Twelve championships pretty much out the door. Um, I'm not asking which bowl game do you think they're hoping to get to at this point. What are some things that fans can be looking for right now? What what can they be hoping for? What are you What are you as a fan, hoping to get out of these next couple of games? You're hoping that, I mean, kind of going back to what I said before, that, that Herman hasn't lost the locker room. Uh, you're, hoping, you're hoping to see some of these younger guys come out. and. Do you think Herman starts intentionally playing, you know, maybe a few more freshmen, sophomores? Are there anybody left to play? But I don't think, that any, I don't think anybody that can help the team – Hasn't already been out there. I mean, you might see you might see a couple of guys that maybe freshmen that's not that can still get a red shirt. Anybody, right. anybody out there? You're getting into that four game window now, mm-hmm. where where you know a, a guy that may have played one or two games can come in. But there's not a ton of those guys just because of the way this year's gone. There's been so many injuries, really, that have affected every. I mean, all every position group except maybe your defensive line, which has stayed relatively healthy. But everywhere else, you know. You've you've pretty much had to play your younger playmakers at some point, either there or on on special teams. It, it, the team's just been so thin. Uh, <clears throat> but that being said, you know, do do some of these guys get more more snaps? I, I, it's a possibility. But I also think that Herman knows he owes these seniors uh, as much as he can give them in these next two games for everything that they they've done for him and, mm-hmm. and have done for the program over the last three four years. All right, let's go ahead and make a move over to next week's game. Uh, I'm Dalton Sweat here with Chris Dukes, publisher of the Sports Illustrated Longhorn Maven. Uh, as always, you can uh, see his coverage week in and week out, si.com slash college slash Texas. And uh, let's make a move over towards Baylor and what's ahead. And I keep going back and forth on this. Part of me says this Baylor football team's 9-1. and one. They just... Until halftime or whenever it was, third quarter, they had just put away OU like, you know, they were the bastard stepchild, if you will. I mean, it looked like they were just going to dominate the game before OU just came storming back. Part of me says this is a darn good football team in the Baylor Bears. And the other part of me says when I watch them and when I look at them, they don't look that good, (laughs) you know? Nothing jumps out at you as, oh, man, you just – that's a player you can't defend or, you know, it's not like CeeDee Lamb on the other side when you're going, my God, what are we going to do about these right. these talented football players? I don't know. 
I, I keep going back and forth. What do you, where, what do you think of this Baylor Bear football team? Uh, you know, Herman Herman brought up a, a good, a, an interesting comparison. I don't know if it's a good. Texas fans certainly don't want to hear this right now, but uh, that they're kind of what Texas would be if Texas had won some of the close games that they've lost. <laughs> uh, which I mean, I, I kind of get. I mean, I yeah. I get where he's coming from there. There, Texas gets a, a fumble recovery here, or there, and all yeah. of a sudden they're seven and two or something like that. It, yeah, I get what he's saying. I get what he's saying, but it also kind of comes off a little Uncle Uncle Rico ish. Yeah. You know? <laughs> We wouldn't drop that ball. Uh, you know what I mean, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I think I think you're going to get a team that's you're. Pro- I think Texas is probably more talented. I think it's pretty clear right now. I don't think any. I, I don't want to get into semantics about out coaching, but I think it's pretty clear that Baylor's better coached at this point. Uh, I don't. I mean, uh, just from the situations that they've been able to execute, whereas. Texas maybe hasn't. Well, let's go over a couple of those. So, you know, last week it was a devastating loss for Baylor versus Oklahoma, 34-31. Baylor controlled most of the ball game and then I I guess just got out-athleted down the stretch or, you know, maybe Lincoln Riley came up with some genius. But uh, nonetheless, it looked like Baylor was going to win that game and and have a shot to continue into the discussion of a Final Four, you know, playoff-type appearance. They've got a real, but when you look a little closer, they've got a real close win over Iowa State, 23-21. Real close win over Tech, 33-30. Close win over West Virginia, 17-14. You know, close win over TCU. They've just been on the right side of luck over and over again throughout this. And sometimes that's the football gods just raining praise down on you. Although why Baylor would have the football gods on their side at, at this point, I do not know. Um, <laughs> you, you know, I, I think I've said this in the past, but I thought I thought that program might be in the in, in line the for death the death penalty. Right. You know, like SMU. You know, and then just a couple years later, they're they're back on their feet and, and prospering. But the best comparison you, you said that Tom Herman said it, it. It's they're like Texas if Texas, if the ball had bounced the right way a couple of times. Right. I kind of look at them like TCU. You know. A well-coached ball club. You know that that TCU is a well-coached ball club. Nothing necessarily stands out. Good defense, um, uh, diverse offense. I, I wonder if maybe these close games you might can chalk up to Matt Rule and, and his coaching staff having players prepared for the situation at the right the right situation at the right moment. Yeah, and I, I you know, you you kind of wonder how much of that comes down to coaching and how much of that comes down to. You know, it, it's not better athletes. You know, <laughs> you know if you look at if you go by recruiting rankings anyway, mm-hmm. there's there's no way that you could you could say they have more talent. Yeah. By by most measurable. If, if Charlie statistics. Brewer was on Texas squad right now, would he be starting? Uh, you you would no. probably. Wouldn't <laughs> I mean, unequivocally, no. I I, I think. Heck, if I mean you can go back to high school, if Charlie Brewer had been on Westlake, would he would he have been starting? No, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's just it, it. I I struggle with with pinning down this Baylor Bear team, and I guess you can see that from the line. Uh, Vegas, at least the the last look that I had, Baylor was favored five and a half points in Baylor. That means if this is in is is in Austin, it's a, it's a two maybe yeah two, two point game yeah. something like that. I mean. 
Vegas doesn't think that they're that much better than than Texas is. Hey, ba- Vegas doesn't think they're better than Iowa State at this point. You know? Yeah, yeah. And and uh, I mean, obviously, if you look at what the college football playoff committee thinks of of Baylor, it's not much. You know, they're yeah. they're ranked ahead. They're ranked behind. I think like two or three two loss teams, mm-hmm. uh, and just ahead of a three loss team. And uh, yeah, I. I uh, which that's a whole other discussion for another time. <laughs> uh, but but yeah, I I uh, I think I, I just think this is a team that's not going to beat itself. Even if you look at the second half against Oklahoma, they made they made OU uh, an explosive OU offense go. I think it was like eleven plays, twelve plays, thirteen plays. You know, they, there were no easy give me quick strike touchdown in that game, which is, you know, usually you get at least one with this, when you're playing OU. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they made the, they, they're going to make you earn everything you get, and they're going to execute enough on offense to put pressure back on you. Yeah. Uh, and I think, and I think that's, uh, it, it's, it's just, it's just very fundamentally sound and, and, and just hard to poke holes in. There's a reason that, when Matt Rule first came to Baylor, what, three years ago, something like that, that the Indianapolis Colts considered hiring him. I can't figure it out from his resume because he was a coach at Temple before that. Had some success. And before that, he was a assistant offensive line coach with the Giants yeah. under Tom Coughlin, but it's not like he was an offensive coordinator or anything. For him to all to have already gotten so much NFL attention, there's got to be the behind-the-scenes chatter. There's got to be the coaches talk that say, this guy's the real deal. It's you the, know? the eyeball test kind of, kind exactly, of situation. Exactly. This is the guy that passes the eyeball test. You're right, because his resume doesn't stack up versus any other coach out there. Heck, it doesn't stack up versus Tom Herman's. You know? Mm-hmm. Um I, I, that that does bring up an interesting point. You know, those two guys were hired at the same time, and uh, he took over a one and eleven, or you know, uh, he took over a, a program that went one and eleven the next year, mm-hmm. and now they're nine and one. You know, it it, 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 it <laughs> like I said, the eyeball test, right? You know, being the coach at Temple doesn't tell me a whole lot. Being an assistant off uh, offensive line coach uh, for the Giants doesn't tell me a whole lot. But you know what? Was it Jim Harbaugh? I think it was one of the Harbaugh's um, was a special teams coach, and they right. hired him as a as a head coach for the Ravens. And I'll, I'll, sometimes the eyeball test is is worth it. You know, sometimes it works with, with those coaches. And, I, and my my guess is that that's what you see with, with Matt Rule, and that's what you see whenever we talk about all these close victories. I, a well coached team, I think, can do that. You know, and, and yeah, it, it's clearly coaching gives them. Gives them has given them an advantage this year, and and you know I I honestly don't expect I expect Matt Rule to probably be coaching in the NFL NFL somewhere within the next two to three years. I I just think that there's been too much interest in him already. For, for it's not for, like he's a Baylor lifer or something. Yeah, and uh, I, <clears throat> I I don't think he's gonna go. I don't think he's gonna take off and go to another college program. But I I just expect to see him in the NFL at some point. Well, let's go ahead and talk about the talent then. We've talked enough about the coaches. Uh, quarterback Charlie Brewer. You know, Lake Travis kid. Did you ever cover him? I've covered covered a couple of Lake Travis games. Uh, you know, during my during my time, 
covering high school football here in, yeah. in the Austin area. And, I, I, uh, I covered him. I covered Lake Travis before Charlie Brewer, so I, I didn't actually see him at Lake Travis much. But yeah, I, I know you and I were both uh, both both covered Lake Travis a few times during the Baker Mayfield era. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, I, I covered I covered Brewer in high school, and and you know of all the of all the Lake Travis quarterbacks, there was he was the guy who probably got the least amount of attention coming out of high school system quarterback. Yeah. That, 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 that was, was the, that was the bill at least. Yeah, exactly. He was, uh, he didn't have a power five offer. Uh, you know, he didn't have a power five offer until I think until Matt rule came along, uh, you know, he yeah. was committed to go to SMU at first <clears throat> and, uh, you know, decommitted whenever rule made the offer. Uh, I mean, yeah. he, but at the same time, it's not like he didn't have the stats to back it up. He was the AP Texas AP Player of the Year in high school his senior year, something like fifty-eight touchdowns. I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was an absurd number. Um, you know, state championship under his belt. Everybody saw him, saw what he could do. They just didn't think he had the physical talent to be the next level quarterback. Um, at a and bigger university for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and Baylor takes a, a shot at him and. It looks like he's a he may not be a he's not a Heisman candidate or anything like that, but he's a pretty darn good college quarterback. Yeah, definitely. And and you know, kind of maybe exemplifies what this Baylor team's all about in the fact that you know, you never hear his name come up when when you're talking about the best the best quarterbacks in, in even the Big Twelve, but he's as consistent as any of them. I he he, he puts up he doesn't turn the ball over very often. He I mean, he had the big interception last week against against Oklahoma in the, at the end of the game, but you know that was only his fifth interception of the season. Uh, very extremely deadly accurate. Uh, I think he has he, he's broken you know several records for completion percentage at at at, at, at Baylor. Um, underrated as a runner. I mean, really not gonna. He's not you know Jalen Hurts back there. But he's 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 at least as mobile as Brock Purdy, and we saw you know Purdy hurt this, def- this defense a couple times last week. So last week when we were talking about we were ranking the quarterbacks that Texas has faced this year, and we were talking about where Brock Purdy faces on that list. And we're talking about Big Twelve quarterbacks. I got to tell you, Charlie Brewer's name never came up in the conversation, and that was an oversight. <laughs> that was an oversight by both of us because he's he's just, I, I I think that. You would put him right up there with with Purdy as far. I mean, maybe okay. he doesn't have the arm talent that Purdy does. He's got a good arm, but it's not it's not the same level as Purdy. It's not. It, I don't. Yeah. I don't even think it's in the same class. Right, but you know that doesn't necessarily make him not a, a, a worse college quarterback or worse college passer. I mm-hmm. think that he's maybe a touch more accurate than 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 Purdy, and uh, really has command of this offense now. I mean, it it it's pretty clear when he's out there that it's that it's his. Uh, another interesting thing, you know, is his uh, brother plays at plays at UT. Uh, yeah, yeah Cade, This will be a, a matchup of uh, of siblings, a nice sibling rivalry going on mm-hmm. in Waco this weekend. Well, and, and whenever you look at him, you know, he's got two thousand five hundred some odd yards passing, eighteen touchdowns, five interceptions. You know, the offense he ran at Lake Travis was kind of that wide open spread that uh, that, that you see throughout much of college football and. At Baylor, they run four wide most of the time. You know, one one running back in the backfield type, uh, no tight ends. You know, there's there, there's a reason that Cade Brewer is not playing at Baylor because yeah. they, they don't really have a tight end. You know, not much of one at least. Um, 
And, and so I, I agree. I think he's got the command of the offense. I think he's a a, a good college quarterback that isn't going to get the attention because he doesn't have the, the real NFL potential out there. Um, but he can run a spread offense. He just can't. And he's done it all the way through high school, was very successful, and is now proving to be uh, quite successful at the college ranks. And, and you know, that, that, that <laughs> offense they run is, is schematically looks – it looks a lot like a you know a typical wide open you know Lake Travis you know other Big Twelve school offense, but it's more it's more of a pro style spread kind of kind of what Texas does with you know a lot more pro a lot more pro concepts in in, in your route trees and, and things like that. Uh, they they want to run the football and they want to they want to open you know they want to be complementary on both sides, which I mean of course every offense does, mm-hmm. uh, but. Uh, yeah, I, I, he, he, he completely. At this point, it, it's kind of like what we've said with with Ellinger at times, where, you know, he's throwing to spots instead of instead of to guys. You know, mm-hmm. he he knows where the play's supposed to go, and he's going to get the ball to that spot, and it, it's worked out for him pretty well so far this season. So you talk about they want to be uh, complimentary. I think is the word that you used with the running game. Everybody does. Right. They, they do a pretty decent job of it. Um, I think across the board, this entire team, you can call balanced. And the running game is no different. They, they've got two guys that pretty much split carries, uh, almost dead even. Both of them have, you know, 500 yards rushing, and uh, give or take a little bit, and, and four TDs on the season. Uh, John Lovett's kind of the bigger back than uh, Michaela Hastings is. Uh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Uh, uh, Hasey has a is more the scat back size um, and more the receiving threat, I guess, if you would, kind of the shorter guy. But they really split it back and forth. Yeah, and you know they've they're they're uh, more of that typical. You know, you almost it gets used. The word gets used a lot, but it really fits them. They're 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 definitely running back by committee, and they put. They use both of those guys. They put both of those guys in the best situations for each of them. You know, if one of them gets hot, one of them will. You know, one of them will get a string of carries in a row. But really, try to uh, to maximize both of those guys' unique talent sets. Yeah, Jim Michael Hasty's kind of taken it lately as more of their lead runner um, in the last couple of games. But um, whenever you're talking about this offense, though, the talents at wide receiver. That, that's the guys that stand out. That's the guys where I, I, I think you see more of the opportunity for potentially some NFL talent type stuff. Uh, Denzel Mims is a stud. He's just a flat stud wide receiver. I don't know that you put him up there with some of the guys we've seen at Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, but he's, he's, not, too, he's, he's not too far in that next tier. You know? um, he's, been a bit, he's a bit dinged up coming into this week. Uh, he got injured real late in the Oklahoma game, but it looks like he's going to play. Um, Mims is 6'3", 215, prototypical you know, size, has the speed to back it up. Uh, he is older. You know, he, he had a chance to come out last year as a junior. NFL scouts were saying he needed to work on his route tree, you know, uh, show that he had uh, more in him than that just straight nine route down the field. Um, this year he's got 750-some-odd yards, receiving 10 touchdowns. He's the guy on this offense that Texas has to be aware of at all times. 
and and he has improved that route tree. You know, he's he was a holdover from the previous regime. You know, talked about as little as possible. <laughs> yeah, but you know that that style of <clears throat> offense where the you know they those big those big fast guys on the outside like to run those nine routes and and really just just constantly stress and pressure a defense. Back to the Josh Gordon days. Yeah. Yeah. All he ran was nine routes every it's, single time down the field. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, you know, he's he's kind of the last of that of those Baylor receivers that, you know, it seemed like every year there were two or three of them and you're like, where are these guys coming from? Yeah. Uh he, he's kind of the last of those guys, but he's kind of, like you said, become a more complete guy this year. Uh he can still he can still stretch the field. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, with the injury, exactly how effective he is. Mm-hmm. But uh, Texas is definitely going to have to scheme around him. Uh, they're going to have to. They're going to. They're going to have to bracket him. They're going to have to. They're going to have to. Uh, you know, find ways to to make sure that he's got at least two guys looking at him at mo- on most plays. And Baylor does a good job of moving him around too, which you know will make things interesting. They've got those four wide receivers. They they'll bunch them and they'll you know move them to one side. Uh, so. Yeah, he's uh, he's maybe like you said, not quite on the 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 Tylen Wallace or or CD Lamb level, but he, yeah. if he can he can play with those guys any day of the week. Yeah, yeah, and and that's not where the talent stops either. Taquan Thornton is a, a very talented receiver for Baylor. R.J. Sneed also talented. They've got they've got enough guys to go four wide and make you nervous. Yeah, and, and enough guys that any one of them can can beat you deep. Any one of them can take a you know a short pass and break it off. They're uh, the part of the reason why they go four wide and don't use a tight end is because they have an embarrassment of riches at, at the wide receiver spots and they're not afraid to put them all on the field at the same time. Let's move on to the defensive side of things. Technically, Baylor runs a three-four defense. We kind of talked about this before the podcast started. That it's well, it's called a three-four. It's really more of a three-three-five because they've got a former defensive back playing linebacker in that hybrid spot. I think one of the things you said is it's kind of like what Texas wants to do on defense. Yeah. <laughs> and you know that I, I think it's kind of what Texas is trying to become now that they're they're healthy on the in the defensive <clears throat> backfield. But yeah, they they're kind of it's kind of the same thing you saw last week with Iowa State, kind of the same thing you see with Texas with Texas. They they like to uh, they like to run a lot of umbrella and you know a lot of three deep zone a lot of hey if you're gonna beat us it's gonna take you a long time to come down the field and beat us and we think you're gonna make a mistake before you do and uh, that I mean that they've got athletes to to make to force those kinds of mistakes. So when we were talking about this before uh, before the podcast, I had kind of thought that the linebackers were the standout group. You felt very strongly that it's the defensive line. On the defensive line, I noted uh, James Lockhart, uh, defensive end, 6'2", two, uh, 263. Not the biggest defensive end, but big enough for college football for right. sure. And then uh, Bravion Roy, tell me a little bit about what you see on that defensive line. I see a lot of guys that can disrupt uh, and get off blocks that can demand double teams. Uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of guys that are uh, fast enough, or that are big and strong enough to, 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 to be a factor in the run game, but fast enough that every time you drop down, you drop back to pass, those even if they're just bringing three guys, those guys are still a threat to get to your quarterback. And we've seen Texas you know, struggle at times this year to protect the quarterback, and I think this is going to really test their pass blocking. So in their 
their defensive line in just as in any uh, three defensive line, you know, when we talk about the three, four, you know, when you've got three defensive linemen, for the most part, those defensive linemen are intent on stopping the run and um, allowing the linebackers, eating up blockers so that the linebackers can make plays. And when you look at the statistics, that that holds really true for this um, Baylor defense. You know, Clay Johnson, uh, Johnston has been it's essentially the heart of the defense. He's a fifth-year senior, um, all Big 12 second team last year. Then they've got, we talked earlier about defensive back kind of playing linebacker. That's Blake Lynch. He's listed as a linebacker, but he's more one of those hybrid players, and he's what allows the the Baylor defense to kind of shift in and out of this three-safety look uh, versus four-linebacker look. He can cover guys, also been making plays, all over the field. In fact, uh, I think he's second on the team in, in sacks with 4.5 behind James Lynch, another one of those defensive tackles we didn't I didn't mention earlier. Um, but he he's a play playmaker. Blake Blake Lynch is a playmaker uh, all over the field, and you can kind of even go further into that with uh, Terrell Bernard and Jordan Williams. You know, two of the top tacklers on the team, Jordan Williams, uh, Terrell Bernard being more of a middle linebacker that that eats up everything that comes inside, everything that comes across the middle. Um, Your typical, you know, downhill kind of middle linebacker. Yeah, and so they've they've got a lot of uh, of flexibility, but a lot of talent at that linebacking position too. Yeah, and, you know, going back to, you know, that defensive line kind of frees some of these guys up to, to fly around and make plays, and... There's there's a lot of speed in that in that linebacking core. I think that's that's really the thing that stands out. Really, you you mentioned earlier. You know, I, I compared them a little bit to the Texas and Iowa State, but at, at linebacker, it kind of reminds me of some of those Gary Patterson TCU defenses, mm-hmm. where these guys are just, you know, just they're they're you never know where they're going to be. You have you have to be paying attention at all times. Or one of those guys is going to sneak up under your flat route or under under your slant route and, and be going the other direction with the football. You no, know, I, I completely agree. And, you know, Gary Patterson is kind of the, I don't know, the, the one of the more recognizable figures in the three, three, five defensive scheme. Um, you know, it's one of the things that he pirated. in. I guess they called it a four, two, five with, with him, but, but same, has, same type of concept. Players, yeah. It's really, it's really, yeah, it's hybrid players and um, playing almost a base nickel, if you will. Um, and that's kind of Gary Patterson uh, esque, and and that's why I can I, I think this defense some, somewhat compares to that. Uh, but you're right when they've got players. We talked about James Lynch being a defensive tackle with eight and a half sacks. I mean, we can talk about you eating up blocks, but when you've got eight and a half sacks, you're not just eating up blocks. Right. You know, um, <laughs> for one player on a, on a defensive line, and you know that's a kid out of Round Rock, Texas. Um, that that you, I guess you could say slipped away. Um, but there, there is a lot of, of, of playmakers on that front seven. Yeah. And, 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 uh, you know, guys, like we said, they can do different things and, and it's, it's hard to scheme to, to beat something like that whenever there are no overt weaknesses that you really see up front. I mean, there's, there, there, there are going to definitely be ways to attack them and, you know, you've got, you've got the kind of athletes that maybe you can manufacture some, some some things that that work for you but you're not just going to find one thing you can consistently beat this Baylor defense at. So, let's also talk about their secondary a little bit. Chris Miller, Henry Black back at safety are kind of two of their more standouts 
in, in that back end over there. They've got some some talented uh, cornerbacks and uh, Jameson Houston or uh, Riley uh, Tejeda. What what do you see on that defensive backfield? Um, a lot of guys that that uh, that uh, number one, those safeties do not let anything behind them. They're they're going to be they're going to. You're going to have to beat them slowly, a little bit at a time. And number two, some guys that if you're throwing a late-breaking out route, they're going to they're going to come up underneath it. These these guys are uh, these guys are 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 smart in the way that they cover. They they they'll pass guys off. They'll you know they'll take away your best weapon, which you know with with Colin Johnson most likely doubtful again this week. They're going to be keying in hard on on Devin Duvernay, and they're going to make Texas find some other guys to 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 beat them with you know you're gonna have to lean real heavy on, on hope some guys like Brennan Eagles and Malcolm Epps sorry will come up with some big games any chance we see some Jordan Whittington or I you know that's uh that that that's the question that you know heated up for a while and then kind of went away at some point you know we just uh you know Herman mentioned a couple weeks ago that you know he could probably play he's not as explosive as he has been in the past uh you're well within I mean for him he hasn't played all year you're not playing more than four games this year. So, I mean, it, it, what's left. So, I mean, maybe find him some time on the field. Even if even if he's not 100%, maybe maybe get him out there and let him do some things just because, uh, I mean, at this point, get him some experience. I mean, maybe that's one of those younger guys that we talked about. That he, yeah, I think, I think now that the red shirt's off the table, essentially at this point for him, or it, it's, it's assured, I guess right. I should say. Um if we don't see him, you flat know it's just it's health, you yeah. know, because we know the dynamic playmaker he, he could be. We know that Texas needs a type of playmaker like that. And now that the red shirt is guaranteed, the only thing that keeps him off the field is health. And then you start, you know, asking some some harder questions. Of, yeah. I mean, about, you know, a, a kid that had, has a had a very bright future. It probably still does, but yeah, you know, you gotta you gotta start to wonder a little yeah, bit. Yeah, and yeah, I think you want you you mentioned it a couple weeks ago about how that sports hernia. It's one of those that you can get back up and you can uh, walk and run, but the explosiveness does take some time because of where that injury is yeah. and how it's in the core of your body. You know, it it, it does impact your ability to get back to that that hundred percent. You know that, and it just I mean. It's it's all those muscles that you use on every single play of, mm-hmm. of football. I mean, there's never going to be a play where you aren't aggravating that injury if it's it's persisting. All right, well, let's uh, go ahead and close this thing out. What is your prediction, Baylor versus Texas? This is in Waco. What are you thinking? Uh, I'm not just saying this for the sake of the listeners. I, I really kind of feel like this is a pretty deflated Baylor team. You know, we just spent... 20 minutes piping them up, but uh-huh. they're also emotionally def- deflated after, you know, giving up a, a, a huge lead last week and having, you know, a top 10 team on the ropes probably now, I mean, you know, not, not, not necessarily looking at a national title anymore. They were uh, 30 minutes of football away from looking at a, a being, potential playoff. Yeah. Being a playoff back. team for yeah. sure. Uh, you know, and, and a team that knows already that it's going to get Oklahoma again. I mean, with unless there's a, completely catastrophic meltdown uh, the week after against Kansas. Meanwhile, I think you've got a 
a team in Texas that is probably going to rally around its its leaders and ra- around guys like Malcolm Roach. Uh, like I said, he, out of all the, the the player availabilities I've been to uh, this season, this was easily the most emotional, and it was it was you could feel in the air. You know, there there are two ways this could go, and from watching this team all year, I just don't see it going the I don't see it going downhill. I see I see. This team kind of rallying, and you might see your best game you've seen this year from Texas. Uh, I'm going, I'm going 28-27 Texas. Uh, I I think uh, I think Ellinger leads the team on a on a late drive and 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 puts this game away. Well, I my friend am not as optimistic as you. <laughs> it's understandable. I mean, from on paper, it, it, I can understand that for sure. Well, I I agree that Texas has got the talent to be there. I worry about the energy, and I know that Baylor is coming off a tough loss, but at the same time, they've got a lot to play for. And at this point, Texas is playing for pride. They're not playing for championships. They're not playing for goals. They're playing for themselves. And you're right, it could go either way. Sometimes that is there's there are teams that that could be enough motivation for them, but uh, other times there are teams that crumble. And I still think it'll be a close game because I think um, while Baylor has a couple of matchup advantages, I, I believe, in this ball game, I think Texas still has a, a talent advantage. So I think it'll be close. Uh, maybe another one of those where you see a, a rough first half from Texas and then Texas trying to storm back and see who wins it at the end. But uh, with this coaching staff and Matt Rule, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and give it to Baylor. I'm going I'm to say 33-26 is uh, the score I'm predicting for this ball game. Wow, win and a cover for, for, the, for the old Bears. Huh? Yeah, it's going to be close, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, well, uh, I appreciate it, and um, that is your Longhorn Maven podcast. You can find out more on si.com slash college slash Texas, or follow us on Facebook, Longhorn Sports Illustrated. Find Chris Dukes, the publisher of Longhorn uh Maven at Duke's Take. That's D U K E S T A K E. Duke's Take on Twitter. And uh, Chris, it was great seeing you. You too. Uh, a couple things. Uh, number one, uh, we are available now on Spotify as well as Stitcher. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you, if one of those is your podcasting preference, you you can find us there. We should be on iTunes any day now. We're kind of waiting to hear back on that. Yeah. Uh, um, and uh, also shout out to Brian Moore uh, back. Uh, helping us produce this this show and we, uh, we appreciate it thanks guys All right, thanks